This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Levy Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Mississippi is known for deer and catfish, but the bat might not be one of the first animals that comes to mind when thinking about Mississippi wildlife. But we're home to 15 types of bats that play a significant role in Mississippi's ecosystem. So today we welcome Kathy Shelton, wildlife biologist with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, to talk about the role of the bat and answer any questions that you might have about these winged mammals. Also, as always, Dr. Major's here ready to take your pet questions. So join our conversation with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Or email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, you get a chance to hear a repeat broadcast every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good, good morning. morning. Libby, we always like to kick the show off by having you tell us about some upcoming events. Okay, and one thing, today is, that's not what we're doing the program on, but uh, today is World Turtle Day. Okay. And the Museum of Natural Science would like you to know they have many, many species of live turtles on display on Wild Turtle Day and mm-hmm. for the rest of the summer, too. But um, Let me just say, I love the way the turtles crawl all over the alligator at the museum. <laughs> it, it appears to be a friendly bunch. Every now and then, though, you'll come in in the morning and find that there's been a mishap at, at night. But somehow during the day, they behave, you know. Yeah, sometimes uh, somebody disappears in the middle of the night, but... And I, I want to just remind people again to go out and look at the fireflies. They're putting on a show all over the state, really. Uh, this is peak for the synchronous fireflies that I love, but there are several other, other species. So if you don't have synchronous ones, you've got something. And the later at night you can stand to go out there. I find the mosquitoes are not as bad either. If mm. you wait till after dusk and go out 9, 30, 10 o'clock, um, no light or as little light as you can stand. I kind of have the the lawn chairs positioned where I want them to be and <laughs> go out there with a tiny bit of light and then sit down in the dark. And they've been putting on a great show. Now, I'm just curious, if you were to use a flashlight to get wherever you were going and turn it off, mm-hmm. it would be a, a while before they realized, hey, it's, it's safe, we can do our thing. Just a few couple minutes, maybe, at the most. Okay. Yeah. And if you just barely shine that light down low, or if you have one of those red beams on mm-hmm. your flashlight, it's better for your eyes. Some of why you can't see them right away is that your eyes are not adjusted. Mm-hmm. One of the things about the, the synchronous fireflies, they have a very dim light. But right now there have there's some that their common name is the flash bulb, and they're flashing really bright in the tops of trees all over, so you can see those. Okay. Uh, any other events? And that's all I haven't gotten. If anybody else is listening and has an event, they should call us or email us real quick. All right, we've got some callers to get to, but first, uh, last week Libby and I were both out, so Doctor Major and uh, Java did an all pet show. And apparently at the end of the show, there was a call about uh, an owner of a Dalmatian who had severe separation anxiety, so much that he chewed off part of his tail. 
Uh, so we got this uh, email that says, I was listening to the re- rerun of Thursday's episode on Saturday morning, and your last caller talked about his brown and white Dalmatian having such severe separation anxiety he chewed off his tail. I've seen online recently people buying or making dummies for their dogs with separation anxiety, and it has helped tremendously. They dress them up in old clothes and never let the dog see them with their dummy. I know it sounds crazy, but I thought he might want to give that a try. And she sent along a couple of pictures. Uh, one of them is in a bathroom, and it's got the, the dummy sitting on the toilet, and the dog is curled up right in, at the <laughs> dummy's feet. And then the other one, the uh, the mannequin is on a couch with it looks like three dogs all curled up there. So uh, my one thought about this was, you know, I guess we all have odd things. I've always wanted to have a mannequin. I don't know why, but I've always wanted to have one. But apparently they're quite expensive. Uh, and I remember... There was a retail place years ago called Service Merchandise, and they had – it was supposedly a safety thing for single women who were oh, traveling around. Mm-hmm. It was a, basically a dummy that would sit in the front of your you know, your car to make it look like there were uh-huh. two people on there. Now, I've never lived in a city that has the HOV lane, that you know, the, the carpooling lane, but I always wanted to get that dummy, sit him in the seat next to me so I could go in the carpool lane. But I think I saw online that someone actually got caught doing that uh, and, and paid the ticket as well. So, uh, But, you know, it kind of makes sense, Dr. Major, because I know uh, my cat likes to, anytime I leave maybe some old clothing around or whatever, my cat likes to lay it and I, they, they, hear, they smell our scent. And I think that that is kind of comforting to them, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I, I would hope that it could work, and I'd like to see if anybody uh, has ever tried that or wants to try it. So, but anxiety separation anxiety is a real a real issue. And uh, the Dalmatian, like I said, it chewed the tip of his tail off, and uh, and that certainly can get quite bad. We also see it uh, associated with weather, uh, thunder, uh, that sort of thing. But, yeah, if anybody's tried this, let us know. Uh, it's an interesting concept, and I, I can see how the, the dog uh, likes that. Uh, let him sit, sit with that on the couch or in the bathroom or wherever and uh, see how that does. Would you really need the mannequin, or would they be comforted by the dirty clothes hamper? Could, I don't know. Yeah. That's a weird... I'd be afraid they'd get more attached to the mannequin than to me, you know. But, <laughs> okay, here, boy, here, boy. It's like it runs over to the mannequin. You're like, all right, well, I've lost out to a mannequin. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, my cat, sometimes when I go on my walk in the afternoon, when I close the door, he immediately starts meowing. So this idea that, you know, it makes sense. The, the You know, we're, they're, they're our companions, and so they uh, miss us when we leave as much as we miss them, I think. All right, before our first break, let's get some phone calls in. So let's start off by going to Ethel, who's called in from Diamond Head. Good morning, Ethel. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Okay, it's a dumb question, I know. But I know mockingbirds are very bully, and they run things off. Do they get uh, behind the hummingbirds and keep keep them away? You mean keep the hummingbird away from anything? Bully them to stay away from their the place where they nest and the place where they feed. And I have never seen them bother hummingbirds. I have seen them bother other birds, but, you know, hummingbirds, I know, they're but tiny, they, but, boy, they've got some spirit. <laughs> but why in the world, every spring I have hummingbirds everywhere, and now this spring I don't. Uh, well, now, you know, the hummingbirds do migrate through, and so I you have that. them in okay. larger numbers. But this year you don't have any, and you have hummingbirds. Maybe have mocking one or birds. two by a feeder, but that's it. And usually we have a show put on because I've got feeders on both sides of the house. Oh, I'm sorry they didn't come. Do 
Do you have mockingbirds for the first time, or? No, they're always here. These yeah. noisy old things. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I don't think I can blame the mockingbirds, even All though right. they are kind of bullies. <laughs> but I'm sorry that somehow your birds didn't make it back this year. I guess they didn't like the area. Well, <laughs> oh, it may be it, just a change in migration. And it can vary. You never know. All right, thank you so much. All right, it can vary. Uh, we have a lot this year. Uh, I had to put up another feeder, actually, because it was such a congestion. Uh, and they're sucking that down pretty quickly. I mean, I just, you don't have to worry about it getting old. Uh, they're they're taking it on down. So uh, I think we probably have a few resident uh, hummingbirds, but probably in our area, probably the migration is just about over too. Yeah. Wouldn't you think? I've got two pair that are staying, and I, I think that I, I have not noticed any extras lately. So I don't, we've, we've got a I don't, preponderance of females. I Honestly, oh. a rare, rare male. I've got two so. males. I was telling Kathy, I got to see that mating dance, that you <laughs> dance the other yeah. day, and he was really showing off. Mm-hmm. But So maybe I've got the extra males at my you, house. You could. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Off to Bay Springs we go. Carl's called in today. Good morning, Carl. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Um, I have a Martin house that has not been inhabited. Uh, you know, I put it up several years ago, and there's been no Martins that have come to it. About a week ago, I was driving home and uh, across my, you know, driveway, and I saw Martins, you know, going into the house, and they were raising sand and just having a ball. And I didn't really notice, but about 25 feet away is where I've had a bluebird nesting box for years and years and years. And the bottom of the, you know, the post that it was on must have rotted down, and the bluebird house was laying on the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, I put put it back. You know what I mean? I, I fixed it and put it back. But as soon as I put it back, it seems like the Martins uh, started getting skittish, and now I don't see them. Is that a problem? Should I move that uh, bluebird house, you know, further and further away from that Martin house? I'm going to take a just a wild stab here and say there there could be some interaction, uh, whether real or perceived, from the Martins that that bluebird house is going to attract competition. So that could be it. But then I also know that sometimes it can be very hard to attract Martins to these houses anyway. They, you know, they have their specific requirements and they don't really tell us what they are. <laughs> And if there's something they don't like, you know, maybe you can just change it a little bit, and and that will be it. So, you know, if the to me, if the the Martins quit using it when you put the Bluebird House back up, take the Bluebird House down and see if they come back. That's what I'm going to try. I just yeah. didn't know. I thought it was kind of unusual because the you know the Martins uh, after several years still had not nested there. Yeah, um, and they're so picky. I, I, yeah, they're yeah, picky. They're very picky. Yeah. Well, bluebirds are awful territorial also. So mm-hmm. okay. Right, and well, that could well, be part me, of it. Well, let me give that a try because the, the Martin House is right next to a pond, so they kind of have everything they need, I mean, open spaces and, you know, water and the whole deal. I'll give that a try then. Thank you very much. Yeah, Carl, let us know how that turns out, see if the, the, the experiment, uh, we'd like to hear how the, uh, the outcome of that. 
All right, we've got some callers on the line that we will get to after this first break. Uh, we are going to spend our hour talking with Kathy Shelton from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Talk, uh, Parks. We are talking about bats today. Some of the things we hope to cover is where they're found in Mississippi, how many bats constitute a roost, and the likelihood of having bats inside your attic right now. If you'd like to join our conversation, give us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. We'll be back with more after this, so stay tuned. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting for more information. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Kathy Shelton, wildlife biologist with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. She's here to talk about the bats that call Mississippi home. Uh, we have 15 different species in the state. If you want to join the conversation with a phone call, a question, or a comment, you can uh, dial up one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Got a lot of phone calls to get to, but first, Kathy, uh, welcome back to the show. If you would, uh, remind us a little bit about your background. I have worked for Wildlife Fisheries and Parks for 19 years now. Uh, I'm starting to count down the, the years. I have done everything from game management to birds to frogs to turtles to bats to a little bit of everything. And now I guess lightning bugs since I spent the night with Libby. <laughs> so when you were younger, was this something you, th- you really thought that you would go to- into as a career? Did you enjoy being in the outdoors, that kind of thing? I-, I always enjoyed, you know, running through pastures and chasing snakes. It never occurred to me that you could do this as a career. So <laughs> I probably would have if I had known. All right. We're going to be talking to Kathy throughout the hour about bats. But again, uh, if you have a bat question or comment, if you have a brush with wildlife you'd like to share, or if you need Dr. Major to help you out with a pet question, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Looks like we'll have a busy day on the phone, so let's start again in Tupelo. Terry's called in today. Good morning, Terry. Hey, guys. I know there's a lot of people on the phone, so I'll make these quick. I've got three points. Number one... <coughs> When I was a kid, we used to love to watch bats right at the latter part of dusk, you know, when there's there's not the sun, but it's not dark either. And we used to imagine them as attack aircraft, and we'd throw <laughs> rocks up in the air and watch them go after them, and we just thought they were the coolest things in the world. And and uh, I've passed that along to my children, and we have bats outside of our house now. And they play such an important role. Yeah, I think it's important that everybody knows that they are they're good animals for the environment and for us. My second point is I have a great I have a, a great Pyrenees big dog, biggest dog I have, and she is terrified of lightning. Hmm. It's it's gotten to the point where I think she can tell the barometric barometric pressure, and it doesn't even have to lightning, but she realizes something may be coming. And she molds herself to me and will not move and not leave me 
uh, let the snap get away from my sight, is there something that I can give her to calm her down, or is, you know, what should I be doing here? And then the third thing, we were talking about mockingbirds. Uh, I saw a mockingbird the other day go down inside of a sewer after a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that mockingbird was mad as a hornet and was just, you know, doing that attack chirp. And, uh, yeah, he, he or she just said, okay, you're down in the sewer. I'm coming after you. There's wow. no place you can hide. <laughs> wow. and, and it went down in the sewer after the cat. That's pretty That's awesome. Good. All right, I'll, I'll hand, hang up and, and get that answer about the Great Pyrenees. All right, thanks, Terry, for your call. Uh, so, Dr. Major, again, we talked earlier about uh, anxious uh, pets. Uh, any more tips or suggestions? You know, hopefully we're going out of the thunderstorm season right now, but uh, we've had a lot of, you know, just about any day you could look at, we'd have some thunderstorms, and I can certainly sympathize with with his situation there. It may be that he needs to use some, some, some actual drugs to, to help with this. The problem is, and I agree with him, that I think dogs do sense changes in barometric pressure and know that there's a potential or that there will be some thunder and this sort of thing. Uh, not out of the realm uh, to suggest maybe some generic Prozac uh, can help. There are other tranquilizers such as acepromazine, trazodone, uh, that can help if you know something is coming. This is the problem, though. Uh, you may not be there when the thunderstorm happens. Uh, so I would talk to your vet about it. Uh, you may already have, but there are some issues, some things that can uh, help. One is called Zilkine. It's something that can be given on a daily basis. Uh, certainly that may help as well. So there's a host of different things. We have some dogs that have to have the generic Prozac, uh, just simply to calm them down. All right. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Kathy Shelton, wildlife biologist at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and we're talking about bats. Kathy, before we get back to the phone line, we mentioned a number of different bat species here in Mississippi. If you could get, kind of give us a range maybe from you know how small they get to how big they get, and are they found everywhere in Mississippi? Um, there are bats everywhere in Mississippi, but not every species of bat is everywhere in Mississippi. Um, our smallest bat would be the uh, tricolor bat. They're maybe inch and inch, two inches body length. Now, of course, when they spread their wings, they, they look bigger. Uh, and our biggest bat would be the big brown would be my guess, and they can be like four inches long. So they, they can get big, but we don't have like the mega bats, like mm-hmm. the big, you know, six-foot wingspan bats. So... Okay. Back to the phone lines we go. We'll start again in Beaumont. Our friend Sue is on the line. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I'd like to ask um, if this is so. I've always heard that neither birds or bats lo- eat these love bugs, and their love bugs are back. And I, I wondered about that. Also, I wonder where if bats aren't rest- if they're not uh, roosting in your attic or your barn or some man-made structure. Where in nature do they find a place that there's no caves around here to? Where do, they find, where do they find a place to roost? Right. So as far as the love bugs go, um, they're out during the day and bats are out at night. So the bats don't eat them. 
my chickens will eat them, but I don't know about other birds. <laughs> but of course, when they're bad, my chickens can't eat enough love bugs to make a difference. Um, as far as where the bats live, uh, it depends on the species to a certain extent, and it depends on the time of year. Um, but they'll live in um, trees. They live under loose bark of trees. There are uh, red bats and, and hoary bats Seminole bats that we call, quote, tree bats, and they'll, like, roost in a little dead clump of litter. And then in the wintertime, they may shift. Some of them will actually burrow under leaf litter and live there. And although we don't have, like, mammoth cave-type caves, we do have holes in the ground, and and they are pretty um, – the bats are really easy, good at finding those little holes in the ground, and they'll spend the winter in there a lot of times. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, Sue, we always hear, good to hear from you. Uh, let's move on. Next, we've got uh, John calling in from Byram. Good morning, John. Go ahead, please. Hi. To get right to it, um, I have a large, uh, what, 90-pound male dog, uh, intact dog, and he's been on steroids, antibiotics, and Elville for about three weeks, and he's been urinating uncontrollably uh, inside the house. Is that due to the steroid? Yes, I would say very very likely that that's the steroids causing the excess urination or the uncontrolled urination. Uh, depending on the condition and why we're on steroids, uh, it may it's be... before an acrylic granuloma. Okay, and it may be that... Uh, uh, talk to your vet, but you may need to back off some on the steroids. Uh, I'm He's almost sure. done with it, but I wasn't sure if it was the, uh, the, the mood stabilizer I, I would uh, i would say almost 90 plus percent that it's the steroids okay thank you very much okay all right john good to hear from you let's get one more call in here in our first batch kate is on the line from memphis good morning kate hello yeah go on you're on the air with us it's k k-a-y k it sorry about that doesn't matter i'm known on the on the on the wires with you all <laughs> I call in every program. Okay, I need to talk to the doc about my, uh, I have two uh, kitty cats. I'm trying to, trying to think what I'm going to say. The um, uh, yellow, the orange tabbies. And they are now mature, but that's not my problem. I'll get them in for neutering as soon as I can. But um, they grew up in my backyard. The mama cat brought them here when she when they were babies, and she kept them in the backyard. And when she got ready to leave, she left them for me. So anyway, I inherited them. One of them I know got hit by a car, but I think he's okay. I figured nature's just going to have to take care of this, and it involved his joint, the lower joint of one of his hind legs. But that has all healed over now. There's one little spot that he's still grapes, I guess, and looks a little bloody, but that's okay. That's not what I'm calling about. I'm calling about the other one who has some kind of problem in his left ear, but he won't let me investigate it, and I don't have anyone to help me to see about it, and I don't have the money nor transportation to get him to the vet till next month. Is there anything? Now, it doesn't seem to bother him. He doesn't rub it or scratch or anything of the sort. Is there anything that I should be doing in the meantime does he have some kind of infection or you know it, it looks dirty yes, in, yes ma'am it sounds like sounds like an infection of some sort now whether it's strictly the ear down in the ear canal or whether it's the uh outside of the ear but the real problem is you don't want to get bitten 
Uh, I realize those cats are semi-tame, but at the same time, he won't let you look at it, and it may be painful. As soon as possible, see if you can find some help, either from a rescue group or something that can help you take him to the vet, have him checked out, and, and get him back home. But he does need some attention, I would think. So best of luck with that. I wish I could tell you more, but not seeing him is hard to, for me to tell you. All right, uh, Kay, thanks for your call. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Next, we've got Kathleen from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Oh, good morning. I got both barrels loaded this morning. <laughs> uh, a comment, remember when I had the bats in the attic, we all laughed because I was making comments. I said the only way I had to keep them out was to get a disco ball and stick it up in the attic and hope that would run them out. Yep. Right. Well, they're fixed, but they were expensive. <laughs> I had re-window and seal and screw boards up. Stuff. It, it was just a two-day affair and the money matched. But um, I have a question about cats and a snake. Uh, one, on the cats, I've been trying to get them dewormed, and you almost have to take out a loan. But um, by the time you get the, the, the visit and the medicine and the test and all that stuff, it runs at 110 a cat, and I can't go that for nine cats. I wanted to ask about diatomaceous earth. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Diatomaceous. It has a T. Diatomaceous. Yes, ma'am. Well, I was almost right. You were close. But um, what, how do you use it, and is it safe? And I know I've heard of it, but I've never seen it used. Okay. Uh, Diatomaceous earth, uh, in my opinion, works as much as anything to dehydrate uh, larvae and eggs. So it would be in the environment. Uh, as far as putting it on a cat, I'm not real sure about that. I don't think I would. Uh, I would certainly. So they say you can put it on the food. No, I wouldn't. But I, I, I okay. wouldn't think so. That yeah, that's. I don't think that will help. There are that other, was one of those online answers. <laughs> there are other there are other things that you could put in the food which might help uh, deter okay. uh, parasites, uh, but. I would be very careful with the diatomaceous earth. Usually it's used like in a carpet or somewhere like that where you could work it into the carpet and it would actually uh, dehydrate the eggs uh, and larvae. So that uh-huh. would be the most adequate use, I think, or for that. And I got a snake tail for y'all. You know how when it rained a lot about a week ago, which depends on how long you stop, <laughs> and... Uh, it ran a lot of the snakes out of their little cubby holes or wherever they were hiding where I didn't see them. Mm-hmm. Came back from the store, and, you know, I get it, park the car in the same place, get out, put the groceries in. And I had one foot on the sort of a running board inside, and I almost stepped upon a four-foot snake. Now, I have never seen a snake like this. I'm pretty sure it was a copperhead, but the back was like a tawny rust color, deeper than I've seen, and it looked kind of chalky finish. And the low on the sides had a very dark uh, brown or dark black little patterns on each side, but very low to his tummy. The snakes have tummies. Yeah, they have a tummy. Uh, You know, 
look online at a um, corn snake. Well, I'm not online. Oh, okay. Well, corn snake has, some kids call it piano keys because on its stomach and along the sides, it's Uh black and white. But, you know, there's a lot of, so there's a lot of black there, and it is that orange, rusty color. And it was huge to me. And if it was a corn snake, and they can get pretty big, you're probably lucky because it probably wouldn't have bit you even if you had stepped on it hard because they're just... I didn't bother to ask yeah. them. <laughs> Whatever his opinion was, I let him have it, and I went on his right. house. Tell me one other thing. Did it move out really fast? Yes. Yeah, that makes me think it's a corn snake. A yeah. copperhead is slow moving yeah, and in no hurry to get away. Sullen, because, sullen would be the right yes, answer. Yeah. <laughs> right answer for that. Yeah. I'm going to say this, and just with, yeah. and I know you've got quite a few cats, and I suspect the cats will uh, not necessarily kill, but they will uh, harass any type of snake that's in the yard. And I suspect that uh, this snake was kind of lost, as you said, because of the rain. But uh, anyway, it sounds like it probably was a corn snake or, yeah. or a rat snake. I'll even. bet that's it. Yeah. And if you're if you've got nine snake, if you've got nine cats, are they outside or are they inside? So. Mostly in now because I have an onslaught of neighbors that take it upon themselves to shoot, to trap, and to carry them off. Okay. Yeah. All right, uh, well, Kathleen. That's good to keep them in. Yeah. So we think a corn snake or a rat snake then. Thanks for your call. Need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue our discussion about bats with our guest, Kathy Shelton. Also, Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. Do you want to join our conversation this morning? Give us a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. More creature comforts after this, so stay tuned. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest for the hour is Kathy Sheldon from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. And we have been talking about bats and gotten a lot of great phone calls so far. If you'd like to join our conversation with your phone call, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can also email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Kathy, I think you mentioned that bats do not come out during the day, that they're nighttime creatures. So if you would give us an idea, when would you start seeing bats coming out? Is it around dusk? Right around dusk is a really good time to see them. I've seen them when it's it's light enough to actually tell what color they are. So, I mean, it can it can still be pretty light. But they do come out at dusk, right at dusk, and you'll see them flying over open areas, especially near water. Um, Somebody told me one time they were riding down 25, and it was just unbelievable how many bats were flying overhead. So um, they like those open areas where they they can maneuver and catch the bugs. Uh, do we know why they are nocturnal? 
Because that's when their food comes out. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Got to follow the food. Yep. Um, Also, let's uh, talk about uh, something that is um, of a concern, and that is white nose syndrome. What's that all about? Yeah, so this was a fungus that was found uh, up in New York. Um, I guess it's been, what, 15 years ago now, 2006, 2007, I think is when it was. Um, But they discovered that it was killing the bats in the Northeast and and it slowly spread, and now it's literally from one coast to the other. Uh, it jumped all the way over to Washington State about two years ago. Texas found it this year um, really badly. We have the fungus that causes white-nose syndrome in our state in um, six ca- eight locations in six counties. So we have it, but we're not being impacted like some of the other states are. The states up in the Northeast literally have lost 90% of their bats. Wow. So we're, we're lucky in that we still have our bats. Knock on wood. All right. Uh, what about the bat's diet? Does it really consist of a lot of mosquitoes and other bugs? Well, it depends on the bat species. They really will eat whatever fits in their mouth. But some of them are more geared toward, the, like, the larger moths, and some of them will eat the smaller things. They'll eat beetles, they eat moths, they eat dragonflies. They'll eat whatever's up there that they can catch when they're flying around. All right, we've got a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Jane calling in from Columbus. Jane, go ahead, please. Hi, I just tuned in about 15 minutes ago, and I didn't know if y'all spoke about behavior modification for dogs during thunderstorms. Um, and also about the uh, thunder shirts that you can put on them. Did y'all talk about that? No, we didn't. Okay. What, 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 was the, what was the first part you said? Behavior modification. Okay. Um, after Katrina made its way up here towards Columbus and we had so much severe weather, I had a boxer that began to have a lot of stress during thunderstorms. And... Uh, so I read about the behavior modification, and what we would do is practice her obedience skills. And also, uh, my boxers learned how to play hide-and-seek with me. I would ask them to sit and stay and then go hide in a closet or a bathroom or a bedroom and call them to come to me. And just playing games and doing obedience and getting lots and lots of treats during the severe weather really seemed to help ease them. I also, uh, if you know, we the weather was predicted, and I had time for it. I would take my dogs out and exercise them really good, so that um, after they the, the weather came in, um, that they were able to rest yes. and kind of relax after we did our obedience and game playing. Um, the other thing that a friend who is a trainer uh, gave me is a thunder shirt, which is uh, like a little like swaddling your dog. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is some compression that seems to provide them with some comfort. Uh, I've never tried it because the games and obedience practicing seem to do so well. Um, but, I've, but I've seen them advertised, and those seem to provide some comfort. Uh, and then just the final thing, um, you mentioned ace prone thing. And uh, with boxers, um, that, that would be something if I owned a boxer and I was going to my vet to try to, to get some type of medication for my boxer, to relieve stress and help them calm down. Um, Ace Promazine does not always do really well in boxers and can sedate them um, too much. And we've had one experience with that where we had a puppy, actually, that it was used on. And um, it was 
she became so sedated that she became very constipated and had a lot of pain and uh, had to go into the vet to get some um, an infusion of... Uh, so I, I would just suggest if you have a boxer and you're talking to your veteran or just do some research on these chromes and just see if it's something you want to use. Very good, and that's that's true with any of the sedative type uh, drugs, and they vary from breed to breed as far as what they can cause and how much sedation. It doesn't necessarily have to be a boxer. I have heard of the boxers though that were very sensitive to different types of medication, and uh, also uh, we see it even in pit bulls and some of the others. They may sleep all day from one dose, so you have to be careful with any of the sedatives. Thank you for the thunder shirt thing. Uh, it does help in some, and others it doesn't. So we've uh, we've seen use of that, and thanks for mentioning it. All right. Jane, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and we've got some open phone lines for your call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Today we're visiting with Kathy Shelton from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and we've been talking about bats. Um, so, Kathy, are some bats pollinators? Not here in Mississippi. Um, the bats in the southeast are all insectivores, so they eat insects, but especially in the southeast, uh, southwest um, United States and down into Mexico, there are quite a few that are pollinators. Um, very important pollinators for some of us because they actually pollinate the agave plant. And for those that that <laughs> don't know, that's where tequila comes from. So, so if you enjoy tequila, you should tip your so hat you to a bat. if you want those margaritas, we need to keep the bats around, yes. This yes. is interesting. Uh, go ahead. We can be thankful we don't have the vampire bat here. Uh, in Nicaragua, where I usually go for a medical mission, uh, they're quite common there, and we yes. see horses and cattle. Uh, basically, the vampire bat may come back every night and take a mm-hmm. blood meal. Mm. And uh, it's my understanding, since we don't have them here, I don't know much about them, but there there can actually be uh, what you call species-specific. Like some will only drink the blood of chickens, and some will drink the blood of horses right. and some cows. So that's right. pretty weird. It, it is, and uh, certainly can be a problem there. But, mm-hmm. uh, but they are fascinating to watch. I went to the zoo in, I believe it was Memphis, and they had vampire bats yeah. out and had little, like, hummingbird feeders with with pig's blood in it, and that's what they would drink. They actually have an anticoagulant uh, that they secrete yeah. when, they, when yeah. they're f- feeding on an animal. Mm-hmm. And really, the animal does not respond Doesn't very much to them. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't even realize it. By the way, anyone who is fond of zoos like I am, the Memphis Zoo, to me, is it's one incredible. of the best zoos. Yeah, I mean, we went there a couple of years ago, and it was really amazing, especially uh, the big cat uh, exhibit uh, display, whatever, is, is just wonderful. So uh, props to uh, to the Memphis Zoo if you plan a trip up there. Uh, you know, Include that in your itinerary for sure. Um, so bat guano can be sold online, is that right? Bat guano is quite the fertilizer, uh-huh. uh, and it's not so much here anymore, but uh, I know in some of the, um, I think it's like the Asian countries where they have the really big caves, and they'll have literally mountains of guano. They go in and they mine it, hmm. go in with heavy equipment and mine it. Here we don't have it that much, but I know there are people that have sold it at um, you know these little local fairs and things, um, you know put up your bat house and scrape it up and put it in a bag and put a little stamp on it and it's 
pretty good for flowers, so they say. Could you imagine that? It's like you're at a party somewhere, and it's like, oh, well, what do you do for a living? Yes, I'm mine back, Wano. <laughs> it's like, okay, thanks. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap up our discussion. We're visiting throughout this hour with our guest, Kathy Shelton, from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fishes, and Parks. If you have a bat question, a pet question, or a brush with wildlife you'd like to share, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Call us at one 672 7464 Back with more of the show after this, so stay tuned. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And our guest for the hour, Kathy Shelton from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Man, we've had a busy show today. We've been talking about bats and taking a lot of phone calls. Uh, still a chance to work in a phone call. If you're quick, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. If you missed any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast. Use your favorite podcast app on your smartphone. Search for Creature Comforts or download the MPB Public Media app, and then you can listen to all the programs on MPB Think Radio on your schedule. So, Kathy, we've heard the phrase blind as a bat. So what's the what's the truth about uh, bats' eyesight? They are not blind. They aren't. Okay. They are not blind. They use echolocation mm-hmm. uh, to find their food and to find their way around, but they, they see. I mean, they don't have, like, perfect eyesight probably, but they see well enough. Okay. And so then echolocation, they send out a signal, and then based on the way it kind of bounced back to them, they know where their prey is? Right. It's kind of the same uh, as, like, sonar for underwater ships. It sends out these sound waves. And it, the sound wave hits something and bounces back. So as the bat gets closer to that thing, that object, the sound waves change, and they're able to zero in on where it's at. Okay. Uh, looks like we are going to end our show with a bunch of phone calls, which is always great to hear. Let's begin again. Uh, Kathy's called in from Sand Hill, Mississippi. Good morning, Kathy. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Um, my question is, I, I hung a nibber, uh, hummingbird feeder last night uh, before dark, and this morning when I got up, over two-thirds of it was gone. Um, do hummingbirds feed at night? And if not, I looked up on the Internet, and it said that, that bats also will feed at hummingbird feeders. Not the bats that we have in Mississippi. So um, it was probably some other critter that discovered your wonderful sugar water. <laughs> yeah, is well, it in a place... Coming- is it a place where a raccoon could get it? They will tip them up and yeah. drink it, actually. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I hung it on the back porch, sort of in the middle, with very high for that reason. Um, and I, I don't think anything could get Flying there. squirrel? Flying squirrel, maybe. Flying squirrel, maybe. Well, yeah. I don't know, but it wasn't... A, it, the bats in Mississippi yeah. don't drink sugar water, so it would not be... Uh, here it would not be hummingbirds hummingbirds don't feed at night they would have eaten a lot of it It, was it well lit area i I don't know that they would even come Mm -hmm. then there it's pretty hard wired for them to stay hidden at night yeah 
Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks. You may have to put a, a animal cam out yep. there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks for your call. Let's uh, next we've got Marsha on the line from Past Christian. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning. How are y'all today? Good. Good. What do you have for us? I don't have a bat question. I love the bats though. I, I watch them at dusk all the time. I live on a little lake, but I'm having a bee problem. Two years ago, the the bees got under my house twice, and they're back this year. I just got back in town, and they're back. My house is elevated. And I don't want to kill the bees, so I'll call the guy to come get them. But what, is there anything I can do to keep them from, to deter them from getting under my house? Um, can you tell, are there honeybees? Are they making a hive with They're wax? honeybees, yeah. Th- they are. Okay. Um, once they've removed those, it's hard because they smell that honey and will be attracted to it. Clean that area real good. Even if you can scrape down the wood, do that to get off any trace of what's left, and that will help some. But, okay. Yeah, they sometimes it does. Did they go back to the uh, same place that they've same been in the place. past? Yeah. Yes, they came back to the same place. And uh, when they were removed, were removed two years ago, then I had the little bitty sugar ants all over there. I guess the one I'm going to eat the honey. Everything likes honey. Yeah, yeah if you can I get the... I sprayed it down the, real good because I didn't mind killing the bees, but mm-hmm. I don't... I mean, I didn't mind killing the ants, but I don't want to kill the bees. Yeah. I would say even wash... Scrape the wood good and maybe even wash it down with some bleach. Try bleach, to get rid dilute, of that. Bleach yeah. solution is probably what I yeah. use, yeah. Get okay, rid of that. The, well, if you can't smell the honey, hopefully they can't, but, you know, they, they got, got a better nose. Good, yeah. They got a pretty they good, 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 good nose. Yeah. Well, but, I love the bees because I love the garden and I love my flowers. But you don't want them in your know. house, yeah. I don't want them up under my house. Maybe okay. I have to get a bee beehive myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Marcia. Thanks for calling in this morning. Let's move on. Next, we've got uh, Kathy Lee, who's called in from Tennessee today. Good morning, Kathy Lee. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I'm loving your show about bats. Thanks. And I'm wondering how to attract them to my house. Um, in the uh, just above Marshall County. So it's going to kind of depend on what kind of land you live on. Bats like open areas. They don't want to be in like crowded woods. Um, if you have some kind of a water feature nearby, that helps. I, I actually happen to have two neighbors that have ponds, so I'm lucky in that I didn't have to build my own pond. They already had one. Um, but just keep it open. Uh, don't don't like cut down and get rid of any dead trees because that's where the insects are going to come from. You want to do things that are going to help attract the insects uh, so that the bats will come. All right, uh, Kathy Lee, we appreciate your calling in this morning. And our last call of the hour is Lee in Florence. Good morning, Lee. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I had a question um, related to bats also. Um, uh, we had some in our garage. It's an A-frame type garage with rafters. Um, and we've seen them coming down, swooping down while we're out there and different things. But lately, we haven't been seeing them. Well, recently, my husband had, um, not for the bats, but he had security cameras installed in our garage. And while the person was up there installing them, he took it upon himself to sweep up the bats on us, which that scares me to death. I hear all kinds of things, you know, about that. But he put them in, um, doubled them in the guano into two garbage bags and my husband was going to throw them away and then he came up with the idea of putting it on our garden. Right. It may, may turn into a Felder question, but <laughs> I, I, I read online where they can actually take the back guano and almost like boil it in a 
boiler outside, maybe a fish, you know, you fry fish or something, and make it into a tea to put on the garden. I hate to just throw it all away if that might be beneficial. Do you know anything about that? That is definitely not a Kathy question. Okay. Uh, <laughs> plants don't do well around me, so. Uh. Okay, okay. Well, I just thought when I heard that, so I said, well, let me just try and say. <laughs> but, you know, now that you say that, I do kind of remember hearing something about maybe not boiling it, making a tea, but kind of making a, a slurry, slurry out of it and pouring okay. it on. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see, to me, it would probably work better because you're kind of breaking everything down than just dumping okay. it, you know, dry onto a, um, a garden. Yeah, and okay. I, I think that the danger that comes from it is if it's real dry and dusty, Inhaling you might want to wear a mask. Yeah, you definitely want to wear a mask because yeah, uh, okay. there is a uh, you can get histoplasmosis from bat guano, and you don't right. want that. Okay. Well, I'll be sure to do that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right, Lee, and just a reminder, as you know, Felder will be on uh, tomorrow morning at nine, yeah. right here on MPB Think Radio. So you might want to ask him see if he knows anything about it. And I was glad when she said bowled it and made a tea. I thought, oh my God, they're going to be drinking it. <laughs> but no. <laughs> Fortunately, it was to pour on the uh, the stuff in the garden. So uh, I'm I'm not sure that guano tea would be and that. Uh, uh, that interesting to drink. All right. Uh, that is going to wrap us up for today. Thanks to everybody who called in. We had a great show this morning. Appreciate your participation, as always, on Creature Comforts, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by generous listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced each week by Java Chapman, and our call screener is Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Kathy Shelton, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, it's our Thursday 10 a.m. show, AutoCorrect, with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.